Are you called to ministry? Throughout the month of March, Midwestern Seminary is giving away free resources and content to equip you to pursue your calling for the church. Your calling is too important to pursue unequipped, so we want to gift you with helpful books and articles, scholarships to seminary commentary sets, Logos Bible software, and more. Enter to win these giveaways at mbts.edu slash called. Everyone who enters can receive free ebooks during the entire month of March as well. This is an incredible giveaway. You can win scholarships, you can win helpful books, you can win commentary sets, and you can win a Logos Bible software package. That's incredible. And there are so much more that they're giving away over at mbts.edu slash called. Go check out this giveaway. Everyone who enters can receive free ebooks during the month of March. So there is really no reason to not enter this giveaway right now. mbts.edu slash called. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up? Happy New Year, you know, all the things. Can you guys guess if this is the first recording of the day or the last <laughs> recording of the day? <laughs> it's the first, clearly, right? I mean, you, just but think back. Remember when we used to do four and we'd get to the last one and it was like we couldn't stop laughing at dumb things. And so this is still better. This is better. It is. We're doing great. Yeah, we are. We're doing so well. We're complete professionals at this. We're not making it up as we go along at all. <laughs> Uh, well, we are exploring Exodus. Uh, we explored Exodus in the fall. We're going to con- continue to explore Exodus this spring with a little uh, smattering of church history across the season as well. But in this episode, unlike last episode, where we really just recapped and reviewed what the story has been so far, because um, we did a whole season on Exodus. And if you're a new listener, we don't want you feeling like, well, I've got to go listen to an entire season before I jump into season 12. I mean, we think there's a lot for you to uncover there. We had some great guests on. We had we, we talk through some topics we think would be really helpful for longer explorations than what a review is capable of. But for these first two episodes, we wanted to provide, whether you're a new listener or you're somebody who followed along, it's not bad to repeat some of this and review some of it. It's easy to forget it. A lot of time has passed. As Jen has said, repetition is the mother of all learning. As I have said, mother is the repetition of all learning. Basically the same thing. <laughs> Um, uh, on this episode, we want to just explore the theme so far, but I, I think it's important to understand there's an engine behind this work of a thematic approach to reading and studying and interpreting scripture. Right? And sometimes that's kind of classified under the discipline of biblical theology. So JT, Jen, just both of you chime in here. If you were going to define biblical theology, what would you say? We're not looking for a textbook definition. Just how would you describe it to the average person going, how are you able to make these connections? You'd say, well, it's doing the work of biblical theology, which is what? Yeah, so maybe we could juxtapose it with systematic theology, which is an organization or kind of a categorizing way of kind of bringing together what does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about man? What does the Bible say about uh, sin? What does the Bible say about Christ or the Spirit? Those would be categories or a way of systematizing things that the Bible says, while also trying to include things like philosophy and church history and engaging with other thinkers. That's not quite what biblical theology is. Biblical theology is a way of categorizing themes or stories over the course of Scripture. So you can talk about biblical theology from Genesis 
to Revelation. You can also talk about uh, like Johannine theology, which is also kind of a subcategory of biblical theology or Pauline theology, and how these authors are specifically kind of storying or creating ways of uh, uh, for us to think about who God is and what he's done. So, so biblical theology, it's also important to tie it to systematic theology, because some forms of, of biblical theology really only emphasize the human author's mm-hmm. desire or ability uh, to write something down, or even what we would call authorial intent. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we want to understand the author's intent. That's really important for us in engaging with Scripture. But it's also really important for us to remember there are always two authors of every single text. So Moses is not just writing things down. He is The Bible would tell us he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, or he is being uh, inspired to write this down by the Holy Spirit. The same would be true for Paul. The same would be true for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so one of the things that I, I like highlighting for our listeners— is when, when we're reading, for example, Exodus, we're not just reading Moses' words in terms mm-hmm. of biblical theology. We're reading the, the words of God, the Holy Spirit-inspired words of Moses, which means we're going to expect to see themes not just across Moses' uh, corpus. Mm-hmm. We can expect to see Matthew pull out these themes. And so, for example, if if Moses uses the word light, we might expect John to use the word light, Not and, and there could be a human authorial intent there, but there also could be a divine intent that kind of helps us to link together uh, stories and passages across Scripture. So biblical theology helps us to do that with themes, like you just mentioned, liberation or justification or substitution or birth narratives, and it really helps us to begin to see the whole story come together. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'll just give a really simple human example of this. I don't know if human is the right term, but an everyday example. If you think about the difference between systematic theology and biblical theology, biblical theology is is more of a literary approach to to reading the scriptures. But as JT said, we're always keeping in view that it's it is both a divine and human author. Um, so over the Christmas break, um, my next door neighbor is actually a, a Dickens scholar. He has a PhD in English literature and has devoted his whole career to to studying Charles Dickens literature. So we invited him over and had a little fireside chat about a Christmas Carol. Hmm. And one of the things that he brought out at the very beginning was how Ebenezer Scrooge is depicted in terms of coldness, like the temperature associated with all the descriptions around him. Mm. Coldness and darkness are associated with him at the beginning of the story. And throughout the story, you see a progression from cold and dark descriptors to warmth and light descriptors, descriptions at the end. And so that is an example of tracing a theme through something that's written just by a human author, but he's done it on purpose, like it's there on purpose. And we understand that, you know, when we're in an English class, but we sometimes when we come to the scriptures, we think it's all sort of accidental or this amazing coincidence. But the divine and human author partnership that we see in Scripture placing these themes there is deliberate. It doesn't mean that when Moses writes his themes of light and darkness under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he understood at the time of writing how they would connect to every single other place that they would appear in the in the story of the Bible. But it does mean that the cohesion is there because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that when we see these ideas presented in the earliest pages of Scripture, they will be presented with um, integrity in the way that they are shown throughout the rest of Scripture. I will say that biblical theology, like nothing else, um, makes me say over and over again, the Bible is a miracle. Like if you're looking for a miracle that you can see and touch and hold, 
it's your Bible because the, mm-hmm. the, the consistency with which these themes are utilized and applied and reiterated is, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, uh, exceeds human ability to do. Yeah, that's right. So let's explore some of these themes. Um, in the first half of Exodus, we encountered, I'm just going to point to a few of them here, and we may not get to all of them, but I think we should cover some of them. Um, themes of birth, deliverance, redemption, covenant, baptism, liturgy. These themes that show up as we've said. We're not getting to all of those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> these themes that show up, just as we've already said many times so far, are themes that uh, you find across the story of Exodus, but the language we've used is they ripple. They ripple both before Exodus mm-hmm. and beyond Exodus, meaning Exodus is, for, for none of these themes, is the first time we encounter them, and it's not the last time that we encounter them. They show up in other places, and so while they stand on their own, in Exodus, meaning you don't have to look outside of Exodus to be able to appreciate them for the narrative flow in Exodus itself to really come to comprehend them fully and to, I think, appreciate them fully. You're you're benefited, at the very least, by seeing where they have shown up before, specifically in the Genesis account and beyond uh, the scope of Exodus specifically. So let's just start with one that we talked a lot about last season. And Jen, I know that you've been passionate about, as I've heard you teach on Exodus, let's talk about Exodus as a birth narrative, as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a story of birth. Where, where do we find this in the book? Where do we see this, uh, preoccupation is the wrong word, where do we see this interest in birth or in birth narratives uh, before Exodus? And where do we find it beyond it? Exodus does this funny little thing where it starts with a miniature version of what the whole book is going to be about. But what, what we see at the opening is the, the big question of uh, what's going to happen to the nation of Israel because their offspring are being cut off by Pharaoh. And um, then we see that these two Hebrew midwives intercede and the children of Israel end up being quite literally delivered. They are able mm-hmm. to be delivered. And I think, remember, when you hear the term deliverance or born again, those have taken on such a familiarity with us that we only attribute their sort of modern meanings to them or their meanings detached from the, the original metaphor. But the the words deliverance, reborn, uh, born again, those are all um, the the narrative of the, the the birthing room. That That's what they are. And so we see this play out in miniature in the opening scenes of um, the book of Exodus. And then we see it stretch out over the entire book um, where it replays. So we have what happens in Moses' life um, happen in the story of the life of Israel. But instead of two Hebrew midwives who stand up to Pharaoh, now it's Moses and Aaron who stand up to Pharaoh and intercede so that the children of Israel can be delivered out of the narrow place, which is actually the meaning of the Hebrew word for Egypt, into the broad place that is um, that is um, flowing with milk and honey. And so um, there are 10 labor pains that we see in the plagues, a final push, and then the, the, the newly born nation of Israel is delivered through blood and water um, to the foot of Mount Sinai, where, um, as any good parent does uh, in the process, um, God provides them with sustenance and when mm-hmm. they cry out, and then he gives them um, a way to be trained up in the way that they should go. And then as we're going to see in this season, he is going to say, and here's where we're all going to live together as a family. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. So within Exodus, this is a huge theme. Mm -hmm. But before Exodus, there is really from the promise of the seed in Genesis 3.15, there is a, again, I think preoccupation, it sounds like, I mean, as a negative, there is an interest in um, how God is going to deliver his people through the birth of a person and a people, right? We, we don't think about the significance of the promise that's of the deliverer that is given in Genesis 3 enough, but what it, what it means will happen in, in the mind of certainly Hebrew women, but I would say Hebrew men and women is, wait a minute, uh, if Eve is supposed to be the one through whom this um, mm. curse is reversed through the birth of this child, and then, and then we know that it's not in her immediate offspring, yeah. then every Hebrew woman, woman is going to be wondering, is this yeah. child coming through me? Every woman at the b- birth stool who hears it's a boy is going to wonder, is this the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent? And so then you can understand all of the tension that's built in the story around uh, women who are infertile or couples who can't conceive, because mm-hmm. it's again, it's asking the question, will God be faithful? Will God be faithful? Will God be faithful to his covenant promise that he made uh, in 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 miniature in the garden and then in specificity to Abraham. So, um, so yeah, it's already been shown to us. We feel all of these birth narratives, the, the will it or won't it of all the birth narratives in Genesis. And then we get to Exodus and we're not surprised to hear another will it or won't it situation right. um, first with the Hebrew midwives and then with, with Moses and Aaron. And the answer is yes, he will. He will deliver his people every single time. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. And then beyond the story of Exodus, this continues. It just continues to ripple that God is really birthing a people both through water and blood. And when we get to the New Testament, uh, we, we're getting deliberate birth language. Mm-hmm. 
when we think about the emergence of this new people, right? You think about the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, right? The language there is born again. The language, I mean, Nicodemus himself is going, what are you talking about, right? Like He's a literalist, I, yeah. Yeah, he's like, am I supposed <laughs> to go back? He's not doing good biblical theology, is he? Like, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and to be born all over again? No, 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 no. There's, some, there's a new birth, a spiritual birth that's going to happen here. And how's it going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen by way of, of the deliverance of a mother. It's going to happen by way of the, the, the shed blood and water of Christ on the cross. So there is a new birth element here. So again, what we're just trying to show you here is here's a theme that is a mega theme for Exodus in and of itself. You can't understand the story, the narrative, really what's happening, the goals of the author, apart from understanding that, hey, this idea and motif of birth is crucial for the own story's coherence, but it also shows up before the book and after the book. Let's look at another one of these. What about uh, deliverance? JT, uh, is deliverance a big theme in the story of Exodus? Yeah, it's a huge theme. And even just to highlight what Jen mentioned about Genesis chapter 3, 15, and the, the birth is a lot of these themes, if you think about a Venn diagram, have overlap. It's not like these themes are disconnected and you can trace them individually, but the one who's going to come is going to be the one who comes to do something specific and it's to deliver God's people. Uh, part of, of salvation history is also dealing, I'm not sure if you would say it this way, Kyle, but a similar word to deliverance, would you would you say is like liberation? Yeah. Like this, this, yeah. So, I mean, what we see specifically at the beginning of Genesis is God's people crying out, mm -hmm. but they're crying out based upon the premise of covenant. They're crying out because they are God's people and they are enslaved under a wicked ruler and they're crying out for deliverance. And I think that's even something that sometimes in our evangelical world, I don't want to jump too far to our understanding of the gospel, like a Pauline understanding of the gospel, but we can think of of uh, salvation is primarily a salvation to God, and it is, but it's also a salvation from Satan, sin, and death. We have been delivered from Satan. We have been delivered from our sins. We, they no longer have power over us because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And one day we'll be fully and finally delivered from the pains of death. Uh, Paul says, even these these uh, these pains that continually ring out in us, one day we are going to stand around graves in this, this tomb that one day held us captive. We will say, death, where is your victory? And death, where is your sting? That's liberation. That's deliverance. Even liberation and deliverance from the ground at the resurrection of the dead. So, uh, the, this theme of deliverance begins in Genesis, works its way all the way to the resurrection of the dead in, in, uh, in Revelation, that God's people will and ha have been, are being, and will be delivered from Satan, sin, and death. And 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 you said some. You said another word there that I think is absolutely crucial. It's not only thematic; it's theological. That this deliverance is predicated or it's founded on covenant, which is again we can right. say it's thematic, but it's also theological. Mm -hmm. And I would argue covenant is also almost architectural. It's structural to the entire story of the Bible. Everything that's happening in Exodus, the entire narrative, the reason why God hears his people is sending a, a, a rescuer or a deliverer to redeem them and to liberate them from Egypt is because of the covenant promises and commitments he made to Abraham. The, this, uh, the foundation of the entire Exodus narrative is that the children of Abraham belong to God by virtue of their fidelity to a, the covenant that God made with Abraham. God has obligated 
obligated himself to rescue a people, and he is doing so in and through the people of Israel, the, the descendants of Abraham. And so covenant shows up before Exodus. We find covenant uh, in both, well, we find covenant before the foundation of the world. We find the covenant, though, specifically in view in Exodus, in Genesis 15 with Abraham. It's what is kind of undergirding all of the action for the rest of Exodus after Abraham, or rest of Genesis after Abraham. And it's the foundation of God's rescuing endeavors and work in the story of Exodus itself. Beyond Exodus, the covenant does begin to function almost more as an implicit rather than an explicit reality. Covenant is not mentioned nearly as much uh, outside of the Pentateuch as it is within the Pentateuch. It, it, it stays kind of almost at a at a granular level. It's fundamental. It's just kind of underneath everything. It's not repeated over and over again because it's assumed. In many ways, this is maybe a part of Israel's problem. Their cycle of sin is that they they almost assume covenant enough to forget it regularly, where then God has to remind them by way of the prophets and by way of judgment. But by the time we get to the New Testament, when we are introduced to the Savior of the world, when it thinks about what can it tell us, there's a few things that are important for us to remember. The covenant comes back in a pronounced way, even at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Right there, out of the gate, you have, guess what? This Savior who has come is the fulfillment of the promises of covenant to Abraham, the promises of covenant to David, the great forefather and patriarch and the great king of Israel. So, uh, and then it, I, th I think it's interesting that the gospel of Matthew then goes to deliberate pains to task Jesus as the mm -hmm. new Moses. So after mm -hmm. introducing him as son of David, son of Abraham, here's the great patriarch of the covenant promises. Here's the great king of the covenant promises. Then almost the entire beginning of the narrative in uh, Matthew's gospel is trying to show that Jesus isn't just son of David, son of Abraham. He's the new and greater Moses. So it's like, now you've got all three of the figures there, son of David, son of Abraham in title and in substance, son of Moses, or really uh, perfecter of Moses's ministry in the telling of the Jesus story. So these themes that show up in Exodus and that are crucial for Exodus itself. Can I just add one more real quick? Kyle? Absolutely. That I, around covenant that I thought you were going to do that I think just highlights what Jen said earlier. What do you have right after? He's the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then being depicted as Moses. You have a birth narrative right. because he is the he is the this is the promise given to Adam and Eve that one day the son the deliverer will come. So not so good to great pains to try to connect all of these things, but that is an intentional uh, uh, piece mm -hmm. of of literary art mm -hmm. on Matthew's behalf to say the one who these four promises were about. It's him. This is Jesus. That's what biblical theology does. Mm -hmm. That's right. When I think, you know, we look at Nicodemus and we're like, hey, moron, how come you didn't understand how to connect, you know, that, that biblical theology theme? Um, but really, we have what Nicodemus didn't have. We have the full counsel of God's word. We, yeah. we of all people, should, should be better at this. We should be better at this than Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. uh, we shouldn't be wooden literalists when there's something more going on there that, that can be seen. And so when we talk about these themes, as you find them in Genesis and Exodus and throughout the rest of Scripture, what we are saying is there is this rich gift um, to those who have been given much, much is required. We are able to have um, the application of these themes follow all the way through to the end of the Bible mm -hmm. um, and to speak to us 
us about the truth of who God is and who we are and what our place in the world is um, with all of the full weight of the story of Scripture behind it. And so um, we don't want to be like Nicodemus had to be. Nicodemus was um, dealing with a partial revelation. Uh, We have a full revelation. And so therefore, we want to uh, walk toward all of the riches, as Jesus will say, um, that the one who has these things is able to bring forth treasures, both old and new, from the storeroom. That's us. Um, And so the work that we want to do this season and in the previous season is, uh, is intended to welcome you into what is in the storeroom so that mm-hmm. both the New Testament and the Old Testament uh, become more vibrant and more cohesive. Yes. And we're going to come back to these themes over the course of this season because they are crucial for the story. They continue mm-hmm. to ripple. And so even things that we weren't, we aren't able to talk about in review right now that we covered last season, we will be returning to, whether it's something like birth or deliverance or covenant or something like water, mountains, mm-hmm. blood, baptism, liturgy. These are all things that show up in really profound ways in the first half of the book of Exodus that continue to ripple in the back half of Exodus as well. And we're eager to continue to explore those. If you do feel like, you know what, I do want to dive back in to get a little bit more on one of those major themes, then I would refer you back to last season. You can go and look through the archives there. The episode titles should give you some signal as to what the episode is about. If not those, then check the show notes and you'll see what kind of questions we were exploring exploring in those episodes and how you can jump in and maybe find some targeted details around things that you're specifically interested in. But as we go this season, starting next episode, we'll be jumping into the narrative itself. So if you want to write, uh, read along with us, let's say ride along with us. If you want to ride along with us, which would be, you know, a very interesting way to talk about that. <laughs> um, typical theme. Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, if you want to read along with us, uh, then I would encourage you to begin around Exodus 24. Um, moving from there, we'll begin to talk about consecration and holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be consecrated? A lot of the laws we're finding immediately after the Ten Commandments and the covenant being confirmed in Exodus 24 are cleanliness, their holiness, they're about purity. And I think, uh, you know, it's fair to ask why all of this attention to purity and cleanliness and holiness. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that next episode. So if you want to read along with this, you can begin in Exodus 24 and read in Exodus 24, 25, and 26. We'll be jumping into those passages next episode as we explore consecration and holiness. Um, If you want to find out more about Knowing Faith, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to get some behind-the-scenes stuff, including a newsletter that has a lot of uh, kind of upcoming things, early release stuff, you can go to trainingthechurch.com slash support. There's some really cool stuff over there. Um, If you want to find our sister shows, we have some great other shows on this network, Confronting Christianity with Rebecca McLaughlin, Starting Place with Elizabeth Woodson, Tiny Theologians, which is a podcast aimed and designed for kiddos. I'd encourage you to go check those out. We also want to point you to Family Discipleship Podcast, a great podcast run by Adam Griffin, Cassie Bryant, and Chelsea Griffin, where they really target what does Christian truth or how does Christian truth impact the way that we disciple children, whether you're in kids ministry and student ministry uh, or you're raising kids of your own. It would be a wonderful resource for you in that endeavor. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. We look forward to continuing the journey with you in Exodus. Grace and peace.
Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or theology? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, which offers courses in Old and New Testament, Christian theology, and more, including the newly released course on missional leadership. Again, this is free theological training that you can use for your own equipping, for the equipping of those in your church, and it is available for groups or on your own. You can learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for theological training courses, free theological training courses today. Go check it out.